0: Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680-CJOB. Are the vaccinated getting too relaxed? At what point can we return to normal? or will it be a new normal of some kind we're going to talk to an expert about that in a second and the other question i want to ask you is should we be shaking hands and hugging we heard the poll yesterday that says almost half of us uh, are not going to be doing the elbow tap anymore we're going to shake hands and, and we are going to hug joining us now epidemiologist from epi research cynthia carr cynthia good morning good morning You and I are talking ahead of this week's COVID-19 news conference at 12.30. We won't have it live on CGOB, uh, but we will, of course, be reporting on what comes of that, Dr. Rusin and Dr. Reimer, and so I'm sure we'll get an update on uh, vaccinations or bookings for vaccinations for kids 5 to 11. That's a new tool, but what do you think? Are, Are we getting too relaxed? Fully vaccinated Winnipeggers and Manitobans, are we getting too relaxed? Well, there's
1: there's a couple of things to think about. Uh, One is just this time of year is a year for many, uh, you know, other infectious diseases, whether it be cold, flu, those kinds of things. So it's not just about COVID, it's about remembering, uh, you know, how infectious diseases spread and how best to protect ourselves. And obviously, uh, during this time of year, it's you know, better uh, to sort of maybe not uh, do too much handshaking, hugging, those kinds of things, just because um, there's, there's going to be many kind of viruses spreading right now. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is what we're learning about what we had thought about fully vaccinated. Again, this is not a failure of the vaccine. There's many situations where there's a variety of numbers of doses in a series, and we have to learn what the optimal number is. So what we are learning out of Israel, some really good data, um, is that that third dose, uh, will really make an important difference, uh, particularly amongst our older uh, population who were first to get vaccinated. So they could be experiencing some waning immunity. So we don't want people to think, well, I'm fully vaccinated, um, or my grandparents fully vaccinated. They could be in that group where that waning immunity is starting. So they're at, you know, potentially a higher risk.
0: Hmm. Uh, when I teed up that we were going to be talking about this on the show I got a couple of text messages I'll read them and I, w- I want you to react Cynthia uh texter says uh are the vaccinated getting relaxed Hal really of course we are that's why we took the vaccine and Mike says hey Hal when do we get back to the new normal if we're 90 percent vaccinated not quite Mike but I get your point here uh then when do we go back to normal so what will the new normal be are we there yet and will we ever get back to the old normal
1: Right, and these are really important questions because, you know, the pandemic is, it's not like a, you know, a road race where we know the distance and it ends with a bang. Like, you're done, you're 26.2 miles, you're done, congratulations. That's not how this is going to work. You know, so we do have to come to a decision at some point, when is this considered an endemic disease, which it will be, meaning that it will circulate in our population like colds, flus, etc. And then what layers of protection do we need to keep? Perhaps it's at different times of year uh, because, as I just discussed, there's more risk at certain times of year when we're indoors colder weathers other viruses uh, are circulating Um, and what can we start to relax so you know there's many factors obviously uh, to consider but when we see evidence showing us now and again I'm an epidemiologist I respond to data and evidence the data are showing that there is some waning immunity uh, and that we need to uh, very strongly contemplate that third dose to consider fully uh, vaccinated so to the point of your uh, listeners that is why we're getting vaccinated a new normal but we're still learning as we go what fully vaccinated means
0: so let me ask you a question then the holidays are coming up cynthia carr will you be shaking hands with family and friends over the holidays will you be hugging family and friends
1: i really haven't thought of it that's an important question will i be hugging family um Well, it would just be my parents, so. Right. Probably, but but see how I had to pause there, because yeah, right. there's a lot, it's very easy to talk theoretical, it's very mm-hmm. easy as an epidemiologist to talk about population-based data. Um, I wouldn't be in a big room with people shaking a bunch of people's hands, hugging a bunch of people, um, but again, I would consider, uh, you know, the, the age or vulnerability of the people involved, and have, had, have they had their third dose plus two weeks, particularly if they're in a higher-risk age group where, you know, there's been a
0: you know six months for example since uh the second dose yeah and and i'll answer my question myself by saying that yes with with family and friends sort of in my bubble people that i know and i know how they've been behaving through the pandemic and that they are fully vaccinated and that they you know wear a mask and stuff yes but i'm not going to go around hugging everybody or being in a big room with with a bunch of people you're right and and um These are difficult questions, and everybody, I think, has to sort of approach them as an individual in in their scenario, their situation.
1: I, I agree. And certainly, you know, it's very difficult. We're not used to asking personal health questions. And we really, you know, have been taught that we shouldn't do that. Um, but we do want to know if the people around us are fully vaccinated. Um, so, again, that, that's an important consideration. And I, to your point, I, I know uh, the people that I'm with. I know that uh, whether or not they're fully vaccinated, I'll put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would make that decision accordingly, feeling more safe.
0: Yeah. Were you surprised we're going to get an update today from Dr. Reimer on, on vaccinate or booking of vaccination appointments for kids five to 11? But in that first morning, just in the morning on Monday, 15,000, I think it's 125,000 in the whole province of that age group, 15,000 appointments booked already at that point. Were you surprised that the uptake was that strong?
1: You know, I did consider that parents might need a time to uh, sort of process that, the availability, but it's been a long time coming. I think that Dr. Reimer is a highly effective uh, communicator, that people feel uh, the empathy and the caring from her. Uh, I think she's done a very good job of explaining uh, what she knows and, you know, the safety uh, and importance of uh, vaccination. Um, so I think that, you know, some of that reflects just on the the ability of her messaging which has been very important throughout I will say as a survivor myself of a very serious disease for which there was not a vaccine and there is now um, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, that parents are uh, having doing this uptake and doing it quickly uh, to get their children in the uh, course of being protected as soon as possible.
0: Hmm, and I'm uh, we'll, I'm sure Doctor Rusin today is going to be asked this by reporters. Uh, he said that really we're getting to the point now where if there are any more COVID-19 measures, they're going to start to impact the fully vaccinated people that are vaccinated against this virus. Um, is there anything and and it all depends on the numbers and areas where we see a rise in cases and you know we have to wait and see i guess but as we head for the holidays we may see another surge any ideas on on what we could do uh further to what restrictions and measures have already been put in place dr rusin likes to say nothing's off the table what would be on your table cynthia
1: Well, you know, there's some obvious risk areas that the World Health Organization is pointing to right now because we are seeing transmission increasing around uh, the world, even in, you know, highly vaccinated uh, areas, Um, and it's confusing. But one thing that they're pointing to, aside from, you know, uh, people are getting together more and more. Uh, We've got the winter weather in our area, so we're indoors. So, you know, can we tell people locally not to get together? Obviously, that would be on the table. But another thing that I would strongly encourage people to think about is if you are contemplating travel, the risk, like we can control who comes here and say you must be fully vaccinated to come here, but we can't control where people travel to. So please understand that if you make a decision to travel to an area where there's very low vaccination rates or high rates of um, the disease or both, you are putting yourself at risk and you are also putting people at risk when you return because you know the testing is not always perfect uh you could be an asymptomatic spreader those kinds of things so um it doesn't exactly answer your question about what we Mm -hmm. can do here but just as the holiday season is coming please remember that if you travel to those areas you are putting yourself at risk and at risk of bringing it back uh, and and spreading it and continuing the challenge that we're experiencing
0: Cynthia, I agree. I think travel is a big one. How important is that trip? Does it really have to happen right now? I get it. People are, are antsy to do some traveling. Some mm-hmm. people are. Uh, it's been a long, almost two years. But I agree, Travel's a big one. Cynthia Carr, thank you very much for your time once again. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very
0: much. Bye-bye. Uh, joining us on the phone now, author Paul Woods, his, year, his uh, book, Year of the Rocket. Paul, good, uh, good morning. Oh, good morning, how Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I, I heard an interview that you did with uh, uh, our radio station in Toronto, and I, I really enjoyed it. And so when I realized that today is the 30th anniversary of Winnipeg's first Grey Cup in '91. I thought, well, listen, there's no better guest than, than, than you. So thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. I, I said to Greg Mackling on the start this morning, I think maybe 1991 is when the term winter peg went national. And, and we don't like that term here in, here in Winnipeg. Um, in, in fact, there's a section in your book called winter peg um obviously when we want to focus on the game being here in in winnipeg Uh, tell us about winter peg from your book
2: yeah thank you i you know i i felt kind of i had some chagrin about that 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 chapter title uh because i i have tons of affection for winnipeg and in fact i i think that that 1991 gray cup was a was a game changer for the CFL, thanks to the way Winnipeg came came together around it. But it was cold. It was, I believe, the yep. coldest Grey Cup in the history of Grey Cups. And uh, I do think you're probably right. I think Winnipeg probably does go back to that date. So if if that's if that's true, then it it's an app chapter title.
0: It is. Yes, I was in the stands. I was actually in this. And back then, that's you know, 30 years ago. Um, the equipment wasn't. The way it is now and i was in the stands with a kind of a backpack of electronics and i was doing on a different radio station KY people will remember ky 58 back in the day it's not around anymore and i was doing live hits on air from the stands and it was cold and i had only been here a couple of years right and i came from southern alberta where we had chinook so i wasn't prepared for the cold it was cold yeah they
2: said it was like minus 18 plus wind chill and of course they, they recorded wind chill differently back then but you're right i think it probably felt like about minus 30 i was told by by some of the argonaut players that uh they couldn't understand what the coaches were telling them on the sideline because their their lips were frozen i don't know if you experienced that in the stands but i wouldn't be surprised if you did
0: yeah you know you talk in your book about how um the argos that year really was as a huge gamble and a gray cup in winnipeg was a big gamble at that point too talk about that uh, comparison
2: it absolutely was you know the league had the league had decided sort of prior to that that we're going to have the gray cups in these big dome stadiums in vancouver and toronto why why would we want to expose the game the championship game to the elements let's go into the biggest cities with the biggest stadiums and make the most money uh and uh winnipeg uh, you know cal murphy the, the late cal murphy really wanted to have a great cup for winnipeg and uh he managed to persuade the board of governors to do it over the objections of the toronto's then owner harry ornest who owned the team before bruce McNall and wayne gretzky and john candy came in uh, and in fact, as I say in the book, I, I think it turned around the CFL's fortunes in some ways. They, they realized that Great Cups are actually better in the smaller cities where the game doesn't get lost. The Great Cup is played in Toronto. Hardly anybody in town even knows it's going on because there's so much happening in a, in a city this size. In Winnipeg, the Grey Cup is the biggest thing going that month, and and it showed a day in 1991, and the league has gone back to Winnipeg several times since. It's gone to Regina since then, which no one would have ever believed possible, uh, and the best Grey Cups are the ones that are in the smaller cities.
0: I agree completely. Um, and you're right, it did uh, sort of make uh, you know a Grey Cup in a smaller market possible, and, and not just possible, but you know, a really a, a good bet, right? As we uh, go back to the the gambling analogy. Um,
2: well, you're right about you, the gambling because they didn't know that they could make it make it work financially. And in fact, Cal Murphy had this vision that we're going to sell out every one of these tickets, and we're yeah. going to make money for the Blue Bombers, who needed money at the time. They were in debt, and it
0: worked. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, you talk in uh, your book about John Candy and hanging out at Alicia's mm-hmm. and uh, the Palomino Club. I mean, it was a week-long party with John Candy at the Palomino Club. Um, our love affair, listen, Canadians love John Candy at that point. I got to meet him uh, when he was on. He was hilarious. But when he was off and just in the room, he was quiet, humble uh really polite, almost insecure kind of in a in a in a strange sort of way. Mm-hmm. We love John Candy to this day, thirty years later, because he loved us, Alicia's and, and our community.
2: Absolutely, he he used to get pierogies from Alicia's flown down to Los Angeles. He loved them that much, and I like to think he he bought almost everybody in Winnipeg a drink that week. He was he was in the Palomino buying rounds for the entire bar, and and just he loved he thought Winnipeg did a great job. He was he was the one of the three owners that was there for the whole week, and he and he reveled in the whole festivities.
0: Yeah, Martin Short. A lot of people don't mention Marty Short. Uh, but he was here. There were a bunch of celebrities. Alan Thicke, which is, you know, you could argue whether or not that's a celebrity, but he's a well-known Canadian for sure. But Martin Short, I got to meet him. I mean, it was, it was a star-studded gray cup like we've never seen before. It was right here on the prairies in little old Winnipeg. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those,
2: some of those guys from Los Angeles got off the plane that day, not knowing what was about to hit them weather-wise. There were some people that got on that plane with just loafers and, and a thin pair of socks. Not, and they're, they're driving in from the, from the airport and they're seeing people in parkas and boots and carrying slabs of styrofoam that they're going to put their feet on in the stands. They did not know what to expect and they did not know what hit them.
0: Hey Paul, thanks for answering all my Winnipeg questions, but the book is of co- the book is of course, about the rocket and the Argos. And so go into your book a little bit. Uh, why was this such a great story? Why did you have to tell this story?
2: Well, it really was a year like we've never seen before and we'll never see again. I mean, to get, to get that celebrity ownership, to get John Candy, who was one of the biggest stars in the world, to get Wayne Gretzky, who was absolutely the greatest hockey player of all time, and Bruce McNall, who at the time everybody thought was a, was a zillionaire with a Midas touch, to get those guys in to own the Argonauts at a time when the league was having a lot of struggles in a lot of markets. That alone was what would have made it a major story. And then they go and they outbid the NFL for Rocket Ismail, paying more money than any football player in history had ever been paid. Not, not in Canada, any football player in history anywhere. And, and then, of course, uh, they'd go through that season as a circus. Uh, everywhere they went on the road, people were flocking to see them. They drew, drew giant crowds everywhere uh and it culminates in winning the coldest Grey cup with rocket scoring that memorable touchdown on the kickoff return in the fourth quarter and as he's about to cross the goal line out of the stands out of section s in old winnipeg stadium comes the beer can the frozen beer can There are just so many angles to this story i knew i had to write this it's just one of those stories that's got to be captured forever
0: paul thanks a lot for doing this how can people i mean the books available wherever books are sold amazon right all the places
2: Yep, you can get it at Amazon. You can get it, I presume, in the, in the bookstores, finer bookstores in Winnipeg. Uh, it's published by Sutherland House, and if you order it from directly from them, they'll give you a nice discount. Uh, anybody that loves Canadian football would love this book. You don't have to be an Argo fan to love it. The Bombers feature pretty prominently in the book because they had a mm-hmm. huge rivalry with the Argos back then.
0: Yeah, well, and, and we're going to talk to uh, Troy Westwood a little later on, and, of course, that was his rookie year. Um, but, I mean, the Bombers were just devastated that they weren't in their own Grey Cup.
2: That's right and the Argos who they had a built up a five-year rivalry where they played each other in the playoffs five years in a row. and the, Ar- the bombers had some pretty mouthy guys like Tyrone Jones and James Wild West. And when the Argos arrived in Winnipeg and got into Winnipeg Stadium for the first time, some guys raced into that locker room because they wanted to claim the spots that normally belonged to, to James West and Tyrone Jones. Cool. Paul, thanks a lot. Thank you Hal very much. nice talking to you.
0: We have been talking about today, the 30th anniversary of that 91 Grey Cup here in Winnipeg. Uh, Joining us on the phone now, bomber great Troy Westwood. Troy, good morning. That was your rookie year.
3: It was, man. And oh boy, what what a thrill that was, my friend.
0: Yeah. I mean obviously you would love to have been in the game, right? I mean that must have been devastating. Grey Cup here and and you came close to being in it but not quite. How hard was that to stomach? I I have heard stories over the years that many of the Bomber players just avoided the whole week.
3: Yeah. There was a uh, and, and I was one of those for sure and like we got absolutely stomped by Toronto in the Eastern semifinal, it was 40 something to three in front of 50,000 people back in the Sky Dome. Doesn't that seem like a distant dream, right? Out in Toronto <laughs> and 50,000 people watching a game with John Candy and Gretzky and whoever else they had on the sideline. I don't know all those stars that they had, but yeah, so there was a level of, I think, embarrassment in how bad uh, the team lost. And don't forget the pride of that team, right? like uh, champions themselves in 84, 88, 90, and then they go get absolutely stomped in Toronto in 91. Um, So, yeah, there was some level of embarrassment for sure, and as I recall, the same sort of thing, my pal Hal, there wasn't a lot of guys taking part in much of these celebrations going on during that week.
0: Mm -hmm. Paul Woods was on earlier. He's uh, the author of the book Year of the Rocket, uh, and he was talking about Cal Murphy, you know, um, it's funny you just called me my pal Hal, which goes back to BJ and Hal on Power 97. I appreciate that. That put a smile on my face. And by the <laughs> way, Mark, and by the way, Mark here, uh, in a text message at 204 780 68 uh, says, Hal, we, we miss Troy on the radio. So there you go. But you'll hear him on my show once in a while, and I'm glad you're here today, Troy. Um, he mentioned Cal Murphy and, and, uh, you know, what an instrumental role Cal played in getting that great cup here in Winnipeg. What was it like playing for Cal?
3: Oh, man, if we had some time, I've got some <laughs> stories for you. For for me as a young fella and, you know, just um, and talking to to uh, Cal and then, of course, my Obi-Wan Kenobi was Bob Cameron, right? So he kept me out of yep. a lot of trouble. And then watching the interactions with uh, an individual such as Chris Walby with Cal and hearing some of the guys in the locker room, you know, because Cal liked to pinch his pennies. And so there there was a lot. When I entered in the team in 91, there was a lot of the guys on the team that had some fairly – you know, contentious issues with Cal. But for me, man, as a kid growing up here and you're, I'm walking in as a, as green as you get as a rookie. Cal was, I don't know, man, some sort of combination of deity and a grandfather. Like it, it was just really <laughs> like, it was yes, sir, no, sir. And that sort of thing. So it, it, it was, I was on like red alert. Anytime his voice, I heard it. And it, Like I look back on those days, how I was so so blessed, really, to be able to play under such an iconic individual in Cal Murphy. And he, uh, Bob always says this, Bob Cameron always says this, that there was never a better coach that he was around that made better game day decisions on that sideline than Cal Murphy. And then what he did for the league and, you know, fighting that uh, expansion down to the States, ultimately bringing the first ever Great Cup to Winnipeg, his legacy is is just truly great here for Winnipeg.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I was on uh, with the start at the end of their show just before mine began at 10 o'clock this morning. I mentioned that you were coming on and that you were promising me an Urban Bowman story, and we were kind of laughing. I know Greg Mackling's listening right now because he says, "What time's Westy on?" Because he wants to hear the Ur- Urban Bowman story, and I said, "Well, we may not have a broadcast license after he tells the story." So I know nothing about. <laughs> I know nothing about the story. Go. What's your Urban Bowman story?
3: Yeah, and you know, brother, I was thinking after we just talked there, and, and for me, like the years are all really muddy, right? Like 91, 92, '93, all those sorts of things. Yeah. I was thinking of the 92 Cup with Urban Bowman ah. when we were in, in the Cup against Calgary right. in Toronto. Uh, and Urban Bowman was the head coach because Cal had gone in for his heart transplant yeah. at that point in time. So it's a little bit of a different story. But one of the things that really stands out from this game is the legend of Matt Dunnigan, man. There is mm. no way. Like he was not expected to play at all. He got hurt in our game. He had a broken collarbone and a messed up hamstring. And like, they did not want to allow him to play. He would, he didn't take part in the the pregame walkthrough for the team. And in fact, he was throwing in the, in the ballroom in the, whatever hotel they stayed at here, he was throwing the ball in front of their GM and a doctor uh, just to show that he could play. And uh, Adam Rita, the head coach at the time, had to get permission from the doctor, had Matt get permission from his parents and his wife. That's how concerned they were that he was going to come out of the game forever injured with his messed up um, collarbone that he had broke. So he he hmm. was so far away from being healthy. And I know that it's it's much more of a um, a concern of the well-being for players in all sports right now about what players will do to play when they're injured. Back then, that's the Wild West how, like, anything and everything went, right? And if a guy was able to take this, that, this, that, and, you know, there was a breakdown I was a part of uh, for one of our teams where the coach said, whatever the trainer tells you to take, take double. One, two, three, break. Like, that was sort of the mentality, right? So, like, Dunnigan had no business at all playing in this game, but somehow he went out there. And even after they won, uh, they had tears coming down his eyes, and he was asked if it was joy or pain, and he said some sort of combination of the two. And then, of course, that just further cemented the greatness of Matt Dunnigan, who ultimately, right after that, what did Cal Murphy do? In a massive trade or a move for the Bombers, brought Matt Dunnigan to Winnipeg after that game.
0: Yeah, man, whatever the trainer tells you, take double. You're right, man. That's the Wild West.
3: Oh, dude, we could talk for two hours. I wouldn't... (laughs) We wouldn't need to swear, and it would be edge-of-your-seat conversation, like a whole book on, like, the Wild, truly how, the Wild West, man. And and hmm. athletes at that level, they don't, like, the, the long-term doesn't matter, man. It's just let me play this game that's burning in my soul. I've got to play, do
0: whatever it takes. I've got time. Tell the Urban Bowman story. You've piqued my interest now.
3: Okay, well, it's, it's just it was a classic Urban Bowman move. And backling and, and if he knew, like anyone that knew Urban Bowman loved Urban Bowman, man. And he's he's the guy that helped to get me my scholarship. And then, yep. you know, as a kid, I showed him uh, just a visit, walked into the stadium. He watched me, got me my scholarship. He was a coach here when I came back. So my love for Urban Bowman and his family runs very deep. And, mm-hmm. and so many of the guys loved him. And when he had the opportunity to become our head coach when Cal was getting the heart transplant – we were down in a game, and, of course, we're up against Calgary, and they've got Doug Flutie, right? We've got uh, we've got um, uh, McManus, and Dunnigan was the starter. But, we like, it was just a, supposed to be a great match. And we were down at halftime, and we're all sitting there at halftime waiting for the big speech from uh, Urban Bowman to inspire us to get out there and catch fire and, and take it to him in the second half. And he, he shuts off the lights. And everyone's sitting there going, what? Like, everyone's concerned. Like, what? The power's out? What's going on? And he shut off the lights, and he told us – I want everyone right now to imagine what you have to do in the second half for us to go and ultimately win this game. So just keep it quiet and use your imagination here to think through this whole thing. And for a bunch of animals in a football locker room, for the most part, that was just a real sort of profound um you know cosmic sort of reflection to turn off the light and have everyone imagine what they needed to do here for us to go out and secure a victory ultimately we didn't but it was just one of those defining moments mm-hmm. of urban bowman as the head coach that he just was thinking outside the box a little bit yeah uh, it unfortunately it didn't work man but it was just a sort of a funny thing that the guys always joked about later on Hmm.
0: very cool are you hoping for the riders in the west final too like me
3: Oh, yeah. They're my
0: second favorite
3: team. And then, of course, right? Any time. Any time we can get. And it just, like, we have the territorial rivalry and the fun of the Labor Day and the Banjo Bowl. And that's just yep. awesome and tremendous. But re- what really wickedly cements rivalries are playoff battles and that sort of thing. So are you kidding me, man? If we can bring the stubble jumpers out east a little bit. Bring them in here for the, for the final? Let's do it.
0: <laughs> Let's do it, baby. Yes. Uh, Bombers and Riders, that would be a great West final, no doubt about it. Um, Chris Strebler, do you think we'll ever see him in a Winnipeg Blue Bomber jersey again?
3: Well, I have no doubt about this, Hal, that when, when you get a little bit of sip of the NFL and and straight up from coaches to players to officials, everybody across the board in the CFL, their dream is to get to the NFL, so he he was able to realize that dream for a little bit, and if you last four years, you get that big massive NFL uh, pension as well. Mm-hmm. So I, he's going to exhaust all opportunities uh, for him to have an opportunity to, to play in the NFL. It's a it's a shame that he can't hit pause on that and come up here for a couple of weeks and just imagine the infusion of what he does as a runner and, and those sorts of things. Like, I don't know how long it would take him long to, you know, make a few adjustments to the playbook to get him in for the playoff run. But I, I just, there's just no way he's going to bounce from the NFL right up to Canada in a few weeks. Like he's going to look at this as being very critical at his uh, possibilities of landing another NFL gig. And so I think it's a very, very much so far-fetched. But it's a lot of fun to to see the photos and, and for it to rekindle the memories of the role that he played. There is, you know, there, there, in sports, right, you hear this guy's a beauty, that guy's a beauty, that gal is a beauty as far as athletes go. <laughs> that is the beauty of all beauties is Chris yep. Devlin, right? Like he's no just an absolute rock star during his time here. And wouldn't it be something? But I don't think it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, or certainly not anytime soon. I agree. He's going to wait and see what happens in the NFL, no doubt. Hey, I don't think we talked to you when Bob announced his retirement, Bob Irving. Bob will call his final game on December 5th, the West Final.
3: You know, you know how we think of the history of this city and province, and it doesn't even need to be from a sports perspective, but just in a general large way of individuals that have affected people's lives in a real positive, wonderful manner. Right. And we have plenty of absolute angels in the community that do things through healthcare or volunteer groups and that sort of thing. But for so many people, sports is such an important part of our lives. And I don't like folks that say it's a, you know, escapism or anything like that. Sports is a part of our lives and our DNA and that sort of thing. And when you have a voice, like Bob's that the second like hundreds of thousands of Manitobans hear that voice and it just instantly takes you somewhere. It's like a, like a, a fantastic warm blanket that you wrap around your soul when you hear Bob Irving's voice and and that people, I, there's not a single individual that ever have, have ever heard anything, even approaching something negative about Bob Knuckles Irving. He is loved and adored by every single individual who has ever crossed his path. I, as a Winnipeg kid, how it was such an honor. And I was basically just thrilled every moment all through the time of playing. And now as him being a friend, like just to be around the man and the father that he is, the husband that he is, the grandfather that he is, his kids are all great. Wife Day is just an angel as well. Like the whole, just the role model And the way that he has affected so many people's lives in a positive manner, how absolutely love and adore the man. And we're going to miss him, but he will never, ever be outside of our hearts, right? Like, he's just an absolute keeper and a jewel of this province and country.
0: Troy, you are a beauty, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, my pal. I'll take care, brother.